Okay, glad you're here. Welcome to you. Um, we're talking about the blessing of brokenness today. I want to start with a story. This is um, Wheeler Peak. It's in New Mexico. Wheeler Peak is the highest point in the state. It's about 13,000, a little over 13,000 feet, which is much higher than anything in South Carolina. Now, if you'll notice, there's kind of a tree line. This is above the tree line, okay? So, really important to note, it's above the tree line, 13,000 feet. Now, Miriam and I decided that we were going to climb Wheeler Peak, kind of one of those, hey, that's the highest place in the state, let's do that. And so, we go and we park in a parking lot. Now, there's some information that we were not uh, privy to. We didn't have access to this. It was before kind of the internet was a big deal, and we kind of looked, and we figured out, hey, here's how you can get there. And we sort of just drove to a place that looked like the base of the mountain, and we began to hike. Now, what you need to know is, after the fact, we discovered there were two ways to get to Wheeler Peak. I want to read these to you. Um, this is kind of a description. There are two main routes to the summit. The Bull of the, Wool, oh, Bull of the Woods Trail. It's like a nice stroll in a park right here. Let me read about this for you. The Bull of the Woods Trail is a well-marked Class 1 trail, enjoyable even for novice hikers. I'm a novice hiker. That looks like a great trail. The trail we went on was this one. This is called Williams Lake Trail, or Kiss of Death Trail. The Williams Lake Trail is approximately seven miles round trip and is a steep Class II trail with the final thousand feet being of rocky scree slope. Let me translate rocky scree slope. Uh, loose rocks, imminent death. Uh, that's what that means. Basically, we start climbing this mountain, and the only way to get up the last 2,000 feet, uh, 1,500 feet or so, is kind of on all fours. You kind of crawl up to the top, okay? <laughs> Maybe you wouldn't. That's how I got it to the top. We get to the top. It is beautiful, kind of cold. It's probably 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And um, this is where we begin to make a series of really bad decisions. I'll explain. We climbed up this way, but look, oh, look at that, hell on earth, paradise. I mean, think about the difference. So Miriam and I discussed this, and we decided that we were going to go back down the mountain this way. And so we headed out that way. Now the problem, there's a big problem here, is that we were going this way, and our car was parked that way. Because these trails don't begin at the same point. They begin at two different points, and about a mile and a half down, we figured we were getting further and further away from our car. Now, here's the real problem. If we had gone this route, by the way, it was, I think this was 12 miles to get off. If we had gotten to the end of it, and somebody was nice enough to offer us a ride back to our car, we didn't know where we were parked. Bad decision one, take that trail. Bad decision two. I said, honey, why don't we go off trail in this vast forest that nobody knows we're in. And we'll try to get back to our car, which I think, and I quote, is that direction. And so we do it. Now, let me explain to you how incredibly stupid this is. We're on 
a mountain that's 13,000 feet, it's cold, and it's going to get dark two or three hours. We, we don't have a lot of time. We didn't, like, bring matches or anything. Why would you bring matches? You're going to climb up, you're going to climb down, so we don't have anything. We go off trail, and it's a couple of thousand feet before we actually get to trees. We're sliding, we're, it is, it's horrible, and the slope is incredibly steep. So, I'm not an environmentalist, but I was never so happy to see a tree in all my life. I mean, I was hugging this tree, first tree we got to, and then this is how you got down the mountain from there. You hug a tree, you step aside, and you run to the next tree, and you hit it, and you hug it. That's kind of how you get down the mountain. Now, it gets worse, because I hugged one particular tree, and uh, cl- clinging might be a better word, but anyway, uh, I'm hugging, clinging this tree, and I noticed some interesting markings about head high. It looks as if something has torn the bark off the tree with its paws. At this juncture, I figure that's probably a bear, all right? Now, I didn't tell Miriam this. I didn't want to worry her. So, I laced my shoes up real tight because I'm thinking to myself, if we see a bear, <laughs> my kids are going to need a daddy, and uh, Miriam can fend for herself. That's kind of kind of what I was thinking. You know the old joke. I don't have to outrun, outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. And so... Uh, Think about how amazingly stupid that was, this decision. We decided to go off trail in a wilderness that nobody knew we were there. My mother knew. She was someplace else. And really, I'm not sure we ever told her what hike we were going to take. So we could have easily fallen off a cliff. We could have been mauled by a bear. And here's what's miraculous about this. We climbed down this mountain off trail, and we end up on a road which we hike about a quarter of a mile, and there's our car. We didn't earn that. We didn't deserve that. We just made a series of bad choices, and somehow God got us out of it. So the question of the day is this, because this is a good question. Have you ever gotten off path and found yourself in a situation where you weren't real certain you'd recover? Because that was us. Now, for us, it was literally we were off trail, and we didn't know if we would recover. But I've also done that spiritually. Today we're going to talk about what do you do if you get off the trail? How do you get back on the trail? What is it, how does God help you find your way back home? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a guy named Simon Peter. He's kind of the poster child for guys that get off trail because he was really good at it. He had lots of potential, but he was really good at it. And today is our, we celebrate Easter. Today's the day we cut down the nets. We, uh, which is as close as we're going to get at, as Kentucky fans this year. Uh, it, it's an exciting day for us. And so um, the deal is Easter makes this huge difference in our life. Now, we're going to look at Peter. Let's look at some words he wrote. What a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him because Jesus was raised from the dead. We've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for. Now, it's funny because the truth of the matter is... Um, our actions and our words don't always match. And, and Peter is kind of the, the case study in people who say one thing but do something else. They have great intentions. They oversell and underdeliver. Their mouth writes checks that their body can't keep. I mean, you've heard all these expressions. Well, this guy was great at it. And the, the beauty of this is if, if God kind of saw Peter through all this mess, he could see, if, if, he, could, if he could fix that guy... He could fix us. That's kind of how I look at it. 
Because sometimes my words don't match my actions either. I had a secretary. It's kind of an interesting story. It was Easter. We were back in Kentucky. Uh, I had a secretary, and I was preparing my Easter message, and I said, I'm going to be away from the phone. I don't want to be disturbed. If anybody calls for me, then tell them, you know, I'm, I'm studying. So about an hour later, she gets a phone call. It's a guy kind of has this draw, and he says, uh, he says, I'd like to speak to the head hog at the trough. And she said, what? And he said it again, I'd like to speak to the head hog at the trough. And she said, well, if you're referring to our pastor, you can call him Pastor Vest, or, you know, you can call him Joseph, but we don't really refer to him as head hog at the trough here. It's a little bit insulting and he said, well, pardon me, I just sold a bunch of pigs and I was going to give a $25,000 donation to the church. But if y'all don't want it, she said, wait a minute, I think the big pig just walked in. <laughs> so sometimes we, we have a, a notion about something, we're going to do something, but we, our, our, our words and our actions don't match. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark 16 today. Now, at the end of Mark 16, they handle snakes and stuff. We're not going to go that far. So I just want you to know, we're going to go up a little bit on that. Mark 16, verse 6. If you don't know where that is, it's the second book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, kind of in the middle. So it's all good. Now, Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's in a tomb. They've rolled a big stone in front of it. They've posted guards. Nobody is supposed to enter the tomb. Yet these ambitious women... Mary Magdalene and a couple of others decide that they're going to go and they're going to anoint Jesus' body uh, in the grave. They're going to, on, on the road, they have a discussion. Who's going to roll the stone away for us? How can we get in? They don't exactly know how it's going to happen, but they have faith that they're going to be able to get into Jesus' body, into the tomb, and they're going to be able to anoint the tomb. When they get there, they notice that the stone is rolled away, which is miraculous, and they peek their heads in and they see an angel Who's sitting there? Now, this is the conversation the angel has with these ladies. Verses 6 and 7. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified? He is risen. This is great news. Um, he's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter. Which is really interesting to me. Because for some reason, the angel knew that Peter would need a special invitation to go see Jesus. Tell his disciples and Peter. Well, now there's a reason for this, and we're going to kind of go back and, and look at this. We're going to look at sort of some of the blunders that Peter makes and then his restoration. You might be saying, well, I came to hear about Jesus. It's Jesus Day. I mean, it's Easter. It's Jesus Day. I get it. But this is the message that Jesus wants to proclaim he, he, he didn't come for himself. He came for us so that people who get off track can get on track. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So let me give you some background. Peter had great potential. There were, he had flashes of brilliance. There were times when he said things that were great. One time Jesus said, hey guys, uh, who, does, uh, who do people say I am? Peter's like, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, um, and Jesus was, he was like... Man, that's an awesome way to go. Uh, you're, you're my boy. Excellent. Good stuff. He had, had this great potential. And you have to understand that Simon Peter was a fisherman. He left fishing because it was a great 
honor to follow a rabbi. Rabbis picked a few guys to follow them. There was kind of a, um, an apprenticeship. And so a rabbi would pick some disciples, and he would teach his teachings to them. It's called his yoke. And, and he would teach this, and then when he retired or when he died, his teaching would carry on. And Jesus did that. He picked 12 guys. Uh, he, he prayerfully chose these guys to carry on his message after the fact. Every Jewish mother would want her son to become a rabbi. I mean, they were highly esteemed in the community. It would be, you know, like um, becoming an engineer or a doctor or a pilot or something. Mothers loved when their sons became these things. And when they became a rabbi, wow, it was like the biggest thing ever. And so Peter leaves his dad and his fishing business to become a rabbi. And being picked, I mean, it's just really cool to get picked. Uh, I'm a Kentucky basketball fan, if you don't know. I'm from Kentucky, and, and uh, we were disappointing this year. I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm, a little, I'm still kind of a little down about last weekend. And I'm, I'm working through some depression right now, taking some meds for that, and uh, feeling better about it. But every year around June, they have the NBA draft. I watch that with great interest because we have players that go to the NBA. And last year, we had four selected in the, in the lottery and six overall. It's really good. As a Kentucky football fan, uh, I never watch the NFL draft because we don't have anybody that goes to the NFL. But I watch the NBA because it's a big deal for us. And I can only imagine what it's like for the commissioner to read your name, you know, uh, with uh, the second pick. I, I won't, you know, go first pick. With the second pick, the Charlotte Hornets select Joseph Fest. You know, can, can you imagine and people cheer <laughs> or not? Uh, you know, sometimes they boo, they boo the guy from, from New York last year. Uh, and, and you get to go on stage and you shake the commissioner's hand and you wear the hat. And, and I kind of envision Jesus prayerfully selecting 12 guys, and he said, hey guys, you're, our, you're, you're the ones that are going to get to follow me. There's a prestige factor, and there's a being a part of something bigger than yourself factor, and these guys follow Jesus. Now, what I love about God, what I love about Jesus, is that he doesn't just pick perfect people, or beautiful people, or unflawed people. He, he picks common, ordinary people like us, Kind of pinto beans and cornbread folk, right? Um, in fact, in Romans it says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone. That's me, you, your neighbor, uh, your stinking boss. It doesn't matter. Anybody. Anybody can be saved. It's good stuff. So Peter is chosen to follow the rabbi. And he has this powerful personality. And he kind of distinguishes himself. But he also is flawed. And I get this because I'm flawed, and you're flawed, and Peter was flawed, and he, there's just lots of examples of him making kind of big mistakes. One time, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to be crucified. Here's the plan. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify me. It's going to be bad for you guys. Sorry for your luck. And, and Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Can you, can you imagine this scene? It's the rabbi, the guy you're supposed to be following, who says, hey, the plan is I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. And Peter's like, ah, dude, we don't like that plan. We really like the plan where you become king and we get to be in your entourage. We want that plan. And now, Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. He didn't just look at Peter. Peter was kind of a mouth, mouthpiece. 
And, and, and he said, get behind me, Satan. Well, w- one time Jesus said, man, you, you've been given this by God, and now all of a sudden he's calling him you know, Satan. Peter just has this tendency. One time he's walking, Jesus is walking on the water, and Peter is the only guy that says, hey, can I walk out there? And sure enough, Peter walks out there, but then he begins to sink. He, he has great intentions. He just doesn't always follow them up with great actions. It's just kind of who he was. Another time, they were on top of this mountain. And it's Peter, James, and John. By the way, these are kind of three Jesus' best, three best friends. And every time they're mentioned, almost every time, Peter's name comes first, which sort of indicates he was sort of the alpha male of the group. And Peter, James, and John, they're on top of this mountain, and Jesus is there. And Jesus has this encounter with Elijah and Moses, kind of this miraculous thing called the transfiguration. And, and Peter doesn't know what to do. And so instead of keeping his mouth shut, he says, Jesus, you want us to build you some tents so we can just hang out? And God says to him from the clouds, be quiet. How would you like to be rebuked by God from the clouds? Be quiet. This is my son. Listen to him. Let me translate that for you. Shut up. He said, shut up. You, just stop talking. You don't have to talk all the time. You don't have to do something all the time. But perhaps Peter's biggest mistake he ever made, and he made lots of them, is when Jesus said, I'm going to be betrayed. And remember, Peter had already rebuked him once. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Well, Jesus tells him again. He just, they just had the Lord's Supper together, and then this happens. Then Jesus told them, this very night. Now, before it was in the future sometime, we're going to go, and this is going to happen. Now, Jesus is saying, hey, tonight this is going to happen. This very night. You'll all fall away on account of me. How discouraging must that have been? For it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, it's discouraging but hopeful at the same time. It's kind of a cool message. Hey, you're going to fall away, but you can find me in Galilee later. I'm going to be crucified, you can find me later. Peter would hear none of it. So Peter says, even if everybody else falls away on account of you. I never will. Look, you know, you got to give him credit for confidence. He, he, he isn't always right, but he's always confident. you got to give him that. Uh, I never will. I'll tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter would have none of it. And he's bombastic and he declares, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. Even if everybody else falls away, even if these other chumps can't follow you, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. And what's really sad is Peter does exactly what Jesus says he's going to do. Now, it's a pretty cool story. Jesus is arrested. He's taken into the courtyards. And Peter sort of kind of Jason borns it into the courtyard kind of sneaks in, you know, nobody knows him, has a disguise on, maybe he has his hoodie on, I don't know. And he, he warms himself by a fire, and he's kind of watching out the corner of his eye what's happening with Jesus. Cool. It's a cool scene. I mean, it's an act of bravery he, to go in the, in the first place. And then people start saying, hey, weren't you with him? No, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. Three times, three times, just like Jesus said. Three times. Peter's like, no, I don't know who he is. And the third time, 
this is one of those verses, I don't know about you, have you ever like read a verse and, and you, you resonate with the verse? This is one that I resonate with. Just as Peter was speaking, this third denial, the rooster crowed, and he remembered what Jesus had said. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken to him. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. He was humiliated and ashamed and frustrated. And I've been humiliated and ashamed and frustrated when I read those words, I feel that. Because I've made so many mistakes. Man, if I were to write a biography, if anybody cared about my life, I failed as a pastor. I failed as a father. I failed as a husband. I failed as a follower of Jesus. I mean, I know that feeling. Where you do something that you know disappoints your Heavenly Father. I have at times in my life prayed that God... I have have literally prayed this prayer. God, if I ever do that again, just take my life. Because I don't want to feel this guilt ever again. And man, Peter was broken. There's a difference between despair and brokenness. Despair. Judas, Judas betrayed Jesus as well. Jesus, Judas denied Christ as well. That, and yet his was despair. And despair led, led to desperation and to a point where he was hopeless and he took his own life. Peter's just broken. And, and there's, there's some beauty in brokenness. It's an interesting place to be. It's kind of that place where, I, I'm, if you're in recovery, it's called hitting rock bottom. It's the place where you get to and you know you've got to change. Something's got to, something's got to give. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible place and a beautiful place at the same time. This was a horrible place and a beautiful place at the same time. And then Easter And Jesus is raised from the dead. And Peter knows this, and he sees Christ. And yet he goes back to his old life of fishing, mostly, I think, because I figure he just didn't feel like he had anything else he could do. He had an opportunity. He had a window of opportunity to follow Jesus. Jesus. He had done it for a while, but he had failed so miserably, certainly God would want him back. I mean, he had failed so miserably, there's no way that he could be forgiven. So he... Goes back to what he knew. Sometimes when we feel like we failed God, we just go back to what we know. And he went back to fishing. And there's this cool story at the end of John. Jesus is walking on the shore and he sees the guys out fishing. He kind of, Peter got the other guys to help him or join him. And when you see a fisherman, what's the question you ask? Catching anything? That's what Jesus, hey, catching anything? No, we haven't caught anything. Well, put your nets on the other side. And they do this. And they don't, this has already happened. This is like the second time. And Peter immediately knows they have this huge catch. By the way, do you all remember how many fish were caught? 153, I think. I'm guessing. Uh, don't look it up right now. Uh, I think that's right. Fishermen count their fish. It was interesting. And he, they, it was a certain number. 
And I, I think there's some significance to that, like God's going to provide for you. And, and they had gone back to fishing because they didn't know how they were going to provide for their family, I think. And so Peter then comes to shore, and Jesus has some fish cooking on a fire. Now this is really cool. Only two times in the New Testament is the word charcoal used. Once, it was talking about when Peter was standing around the fire in the courtyard when he denied Christ. The second time was when Jesus was preparing fish for him for breakfast. I think it's really, I don't think it's a coincidence that they use that word. Because sometimes aromas uh, kind of spark your memory. And I wonder, when Peter was sitting around the fire with Jesus, eating the fish that Christ had prepared, if he remembered his denial and what that felt like. And then Jesus engages Peter in this conversation. Now, if you've been in church ever at all, you, can, you probably know this story. But when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? There's kind of this debate. Was he talking about more than the other disciples? I doubt if that's the case. I don't think Jesus was really into causing people to uh, get into comparisons with other people. I think it's probably, do you love me more than fishing? More than these nets and this boat? Do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And, and you guys know there's two words, or there's three words actually for love in the Greek. And, and there's this, um, this kind of, Jesus would say, do you agape me? And agape love is the choice. It's not an emotion, it's a choice. And, and, and Peter would respond back, you know, Lord, that I phileo you, I, I love you like a brother. And Jesus would say, well, do you agape me? And three times this happens. And there's sort of this teaching out there, I don't think it's right, that um, Jesus was trying to ratchet up Peter's commitment level. But the problem with that is the third time Jesus says, well, do you phileo me? And he says, yes. And Jesus isn't accustomed to dumbing down responsibility to him. I don't think he, he's saying, hey, I need you to love me less. I think really all this was, was Peter saying, you know how much I love you. I love you like a brother. And then something amazing happens. Now, if you've ever been betrayed, and if I were to ask for a show of hands, I wonder how many of us have been betrayed you've ever been betrayed, you know how that stings. And if I were to ask for a show of hands, have you ever been a betrayer? I could raise my hand on both accounts. Jesus and Peter have this conversation. And this is what is amazing to me. This is the beauty of Easter. Jesus then says to Peter, come on back and follow me. Come on, man. Put aside the nets and the boats. I've called you for something bigger than that. Put aside just regular life. I've called you to be something more than that. See, the beauty of Easter, the message of Easter, is that restoration is possible. And there are folks in churches all over America today asking the question, as bad as I am, I wonder if God still loves me. There are people in churches all over America today asking the question, with what I've done, I can't imagine that God would forgive me. 
The beauty of Easter is restoration is possible. Look, this guy, Peter, denied he even knew Christ. I've done some bad stuff in my life. He's worse than me. I'm kind of happy about it. Somebody worse. And Jesus was like, dude, come on. Follow me. Because the message of Easter is that failure is never final unless you choose for it to be. Judas failed, and he made it final. Peter failed, and he didn't make it final. Because brokenness, like I said a minute ago, is this beautiful, horrible place. It's a place where God takes us to a point of humility. In James it says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace and grace and grace. He is so eager to forgive us for all my mistakes. Every one of them. Even the ones I prayed that I would die if I kept doing them. There's this amazing forgiveness. God opposes the proud. Peter was kind of cocky, but he gives grace to the broken. The message of Easter's brokenness isn't a destination, it's a means to an end. And God will use it in your life. If you feel broken today, it is a beautiful thing for you. You might not enjoy it, but it might get you to the place, if you'll let it, that God wants you to be. One more. Peter had potential. God never stopped seeing the potential. And you have potential, and God still sees the potential in your life. I mean, Peter, all of a sudden, he gets restored, and now he becomes super apostle. He, he starts preaching, he starts doing stuff, nobody can dissuade him, he's not afraid of anybody, he's called before the religious leaders of the day, and they say, you got to shut up, and he's like, I'm not shutting up, because I'm gonna, I fear God more than you. He becomes this crazy man apostle. And then he writes, remember, what a God we have. And how fortunate we are to have him because Jesus was raised from the dead. We've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for. Let me end with a story. I was a pastor in Kentucky, a little church in Bergen. Little, you only get there if you want to be there. It's kind of, you have to, it's, it's a small little town. A thousand people. We had one little red flashing light. That was our town. And there was a guy that came up to me and told me a story about his little girl and their dead dog. And they were trying to explain. Her name was Susie. I can't remember the dog's name. Let's go with Rocky. That seems like a good dog name. And uh, so they were trying to explain to Susie, she was five or six years old, that Rocky was dead. And they were trying to think, what do they, what do they need to say? And so they said, well, Rocky is in heaven with God. And Susie, in this stroke of brilliance, says, why would God, what would God want with an old dead dog? Brokenness is when we ask the question of ourselves, what would God want with an old dead dog? And the answer is, what an amazing God we have. And how fortunate we are that He will forgive us of any sin. And He will forgive us even when we sin over and over. 
And He will forgive us every time we sin. And He will forgive us if we are chronic sinners. And He will forgive us if we go so far off the path that we feel like we're so far in the deep weeds, we're in the forest, and we don't think we're ever going to recover. And He's looking for us. He's looking for us. He's looking to forgive us. The message of Easter is, oh, what a God we have. And how fortunate we are to have Him. Who would send His Son to die for us. So that we, even when we get off course, can be forgiven. I'm going to pray and we're going to just about be done Mark is going to come up and give you a couple of final announcements. I'm going to stand over there after the service is over. If you want to come, if you have something to say, you need me to pray with you, I'm going to be right over there, okay? Lord, we thank you for our time together, and we pray and give you thanks that no matter how far off course, no matter how far out in the deep weeds we are, you still love us and you care about us. And you want to restore us. And you want it more than anything. Thank you for the depth of love you have for us. Thank you that Jesus came and died for us. So that we might be saved. Thank you for loving us even when we disappoint you. In Jesus name we pray.